guys, it's Bardic Community College. This is Jordan. And I'm Derek. And we're both in the same room for the first time uh, today. Not today. Yeah, today. Yeah. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about the Coen Brothers' hilarious odyssey, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, it is... I don't think... I would describe it as directly based on, I think it has parallels from the Odyssey that are used as storytelling mechanics. So, and I think it is described as loosely based, I guess. Uh, apparently it is modern satire, which is, I guess it kind of was. Is it modern or is it a Saturn of modern times, i.e. pre-World War II? I don't know. Like, I, def I don't know if I would really describe it as a satire. No, it's definitely a satire. I, I think there are parts of it. Of the, I feel like it's a big satire of the South. I don't think it's, even with even with I don't that think it's any more or less about how things will change. Yeah, I, I things don't, haven't changed. I don't think it's any more or less than like the Green Mile, though, which is a pretty accurate representation of the South. <laughs> no, I think so, this is a satire. It's, uh, it's the same thing with like the Big Lebowski. I don't know if I and there's no movie like The Big Lebowski. Is don't The Big Lebowski a satire of something? It doesn't feel like it. Yeah, I'd say so. I think it feel like if you were going to call it a satire, it's a satire of surrealist noir, I well, guess. I was going to say it satires noir and it kind of satirizes the post 70s of like path of America. I guess. I mean, it makes sense. It just like you always think it's of satire as... It's not the only thing that it is. Yeah, you, you always think of satire as being less tongue-in-cheek and more very well, optics about I, what they are satirizing. the thing about satire is that it has to have a target. Well, and I guess if it's subtle enough, it doesn't like, really my, change much. Well, and my, my go-to example is... Well, I, I think it does, because satire has to have a target. It has to have something that it's, is being... It's riffing, yeah. It's like... Uh, Monty Python and the Life of Brian is a perfect example of a satire because the target is religion. Yeah, it's very, I guess I could see that. You know, it's very... Like, it's also more direct about it, though. Like, this one didn't really take any Monty Python-esque jibs at anybody as opposed to it was just sort of existing in its own irony, I guess. Well, that's the other thing about the movie is I don't know how many levels of irony this film is working on. <laughs> it's a lot. Because on some level, every character is so much of a caricature uh -huh. that it's hard for... But but at the same time, there is enough truth to most of them that it's kind of hard to decide if you should be always laughing with them or at them. So, uh... We, uh, we follow three characters, uh, played by George Clooney, who is Ulysses Everett McGill, who is the, uh, unnamed Odysseus in, in this particular odyssey. Uh, you have John Turturro as Pete, uh, and Tim Blake Nelson as Delmar, uh, who are representative of the soldiers going home. Um... You also have several other uh, high-name people in here. So uh, Chris Thomas King plays Tommy Johnson. Yes, that Tommy Johnson, uh, who sold his soul at a crossroads to the devil to play a mean guitar. Uh, and when asked about, well, why would, you, why would you ever sell your soul to Satan? He goes, well, I wasn't using it or nothing. <laughs> like, 
going into this movie, you have to expect well-crafted one-liners because the movie is full of it and very odd social interactions between more than two people. <laughs> so, like a lot of the other Coen Brothers movies, the film is rich in cleverly lit written dialogue where you take these kind of bizarre characters that, you know, have their kind of back and forth. And again, you never really, and never rarely in the film's universe do they, does it feel like they are making a deliberate joke, but so much as a joke that is only evident to the audience. Um, and to say that the movie has a very bizarre setup at least in how it at least in how it moves about or not set up it's really more the way the movie kind of ambles along it, it'll it's just it'll almost just go, circular kind it, of it just kind of goes sometimes from one weird scene to another weird scene yeah where, and especially location wise like like you mentioned towards the end of the movie you always feel like everything is too close but like if you look at the locations they're going around in mississippi they're almost always within a 20 mile radius of where they started even though they're in a model t half of the time it's it, again it, again sort of in the same way that the big lebowski is kind of a movie of hey we're just kind of exploring these characters in our lives and seeing how they move around and go through this and go you know go through this structure um and a society like we this live in a movie, society. We sure do. Uh, we this, sure do. This feels like a this this movie to me. It it feels less about necessarily the individual characters' goals so much as it is presenting this weird pre World War II American South. Yeah, the the Ameri it, it takes place in vaguely nineteen thirty. Um, so you're experiencing no, the, presumably after thirty two. I think was it thirty two or was it thirty four. It has to be at least after 32 because uh, uh, Tennessee Valley Authority. <laughs> slash, uh, uh, the real George Nelson died in 1934, three years before the story is set. So it's 37? I guess that's... It's really more It's really more about creating the mood than having exact period accuracy. Yeah, I, I don't go into it thinking that this is going to be a timepiece, period. It, it is. It and, is a timepiece, but it is not historically accurate. <laughs> and I will say the cinematography is great. Um, the color choices yeah, are amazing. You know, we're, we're kind of bopping all over the place. Yeah, we are. But, uh, so let's 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 walk yeah. back a little bit. So yeah. you have a, a pretty big cast. You have a couple of uh, people that show up. Uh, Frank Collison is uh, Pete's maternal cousin. You have John Goodman, Holly Hunter, uh, Charles Durning is Menelaus, Pappy O'Daniel, which a lot of people didn't catch because they call him Menelaus in the middle of the movie. And everybody goes, "What is that supposed to mean?" I'm like, "It's Menelaus." But I guess in movie, he's supposed to be closer to Zeus from narrative, which I always thought was kind of crazy. Uh, they're being chased. So your first three characters are press gangers. They have been, they escape from a chain gang. Yeah. Like they are. To Big Rock Candy Mountain as their <laughs> escape song of choice. Yeah. They escape from, uh, they escape from bondage and are on the run from the law. 
and this is essentially the state of things for the entire movie. Yeah, they are, there there is a chase, which is yeah. sort of the past catching up, I guess, is the, the threat. And their individual events are just kind of like, you know, so you know, sometimes good things ba- some you know, good things happen to them, bad things happen to them. Fucking weird things yeah. consistently happen to them. The running kind of theme is the movie has a very loose cribbing from the Odyssey style yeah. slash uh, the they're almost the they're idiot. almost like it's almost a self-contained anthology like it has all of these little tiny stories that the characters experience and then they move on and then they normally are not affected by these things until either later or never again yeah it's a movie that definitely keeps you guessing and this isn't and i i uh, he watched it for the first time literally two and a half hours yeah. ago so and you know like every i feel like every time i watch a coen brothers movie like, it takes, like, two or three viewings for it to really set in. Yeah, I will say that, um, so, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So, this movie came out in 2000. You were a child. A literal child. I was, I was six years old. Yeah. I was in high school. Um, so, uh, I think my dad took me to see this one in theaters, which was really crazy. So, um, because he's not really, like, a Coen Brothers fan. He just liked the trailer, and we went and saw it, and we ended up loving the movie. So I tend to watch this, like, once year? yearly or bi-yearly. Like, this is probably the first time I've watched it in a couple of years. Um, so I have a bit of a fondness for it because it's a fun movie. It's, it's very it, weird. The characters are me, very colorful. It reminds me a lot of Dumb and Dumber. A little bit, yeah. Because you're uh, basically just watching... You have this idiot's hero journey, almost. Yeah. <laughs> Where they they mostly get by, not really based on their own, like, on their own wit, but more on happenstance and luck. And um, your three characters are kind of in this great kind of, like, you have uh, the, the wise-ass schemer, played by Clooney, who's uh, Everett. You have uh, John Turturro's Pete, who's like the much more who's much more like grounded and like negative in general i don't know if i would call him negative he's definitely out of the three of them the truth-seeking realist yeah because like he's in it for the money because he wants to get the fuck out of dodge yeah and then you have pete who's the dumb one but i don't know if i would always describe pete as dumb i would describe pete as like a step away or like a half step away from reality He's such a he's he's always kind of like out of it. It's but he always like, like has some of the most poignant things his, to say at the weirdest time. I was gonna say he has kind of his like rare moments of like genius. when Babyface Nelson it's, starts shooting the and cattle honestly, and he goes, "Not the livestock, George." It honestly, it honestly reminds me a lot of Ed, Ed and Eddie. Yeah, <laughs> I that now that you mention it, it is with, with uh, Delmar is Pete. Uh, or sorry, Del Mar is Ed, the the kind of dumb one who has his moments. Yeah. Uh, Clooney is double D, or no, Clooney, Clooney is, is Eddie, Eddie who, and then the schemer. Pete is double D, although not as high up, I guess. Yeah. Like they're all kind of they Ed. Have the same kind of dynamic. Yeah. <clears throat> the, and the trio does really good. Like you you enjoy the conversations they have and the little ribs back and forth. Like, very early on in the movie, they, they're out in the woods eating a gopher uh, that they had killed. <laughs> and there's this uh, congregation that is gathering at the river that they have been camped out near. So, like, people are showing up on Sunday to get baptized. 
And like the entire time they're watching it, they're having this minor conversation about the gopher family that they found <laughs> and the descriptors of, uh, I believe George Clooney says, uh, uh, Delmar goes, gopher Everett? And, and George Clooney <laughs> responds with, I'm afraid a third of a gopher would only arouse my appetite without bedding her back down. And the language, the usage in this movie is my aesthetic. <laughs> it is so good. Because everything they say is either like ridiculously southern in a ye old Greek language kind of way, <laughs> or which is a weird parallel, or uh, you have a lot of modern language that kind of sneaks its way in there as well. <clears throat> I feel like so. A little backstory is necessary. So, Jordan and I are from the South, but yeah. we are not Southern. We are not Southern. I mean, I, so like I was born in Louisiana. I grew up in Texas. I'm, I'm the most radical anarchist that you've ever had come from the Lone Star State that didn't make a shit bomb. So, whereas you know, also I, I haven't climbed a clock tower and started pot shouting people. So honestly, yeah, yeah we don't know. There's still time. I mean, there's always time. <laughs> it's a clock tower, Derek. It's meant to be closed. Yes, it's also meant to have time. <laughs> um, but I was born and raised in Southwest Florida. You poor bastard. Yeah, so um, I feel like sort of like I feel like Florida stops being the South about halfway down. <laughs> oh yeah, well I mean North Florida is just South Georgia. Yeah, and then like Orlando is tourism. And then the further south you go, the more north you get until you hit the Miami Keys. and the Keys. Because Miami is this weird amalgam of pretty much everything in Florida you can get your hands on. Oh. A kitten shed A wild cat. Hi, baby. Um, so, I don't know if we have quite the same... He Him a little more than I do. I don't know if we have quite the same understanding of this kind of deep south but not so like uh, i get bits and pieces of it like i've grown up out in the sticks of dry county texas so like i understand king of the hill gothic less king of the hill gothic <laughs> like we're talking almost uh almost providence like king of the hill oh no not providence yeah um so like i i understand the the real hyper isolated country sort of mentality is common these common clay in the new west the, what did they call them you know salt of the earth, salt of the earth. You, you know, know morons. idiots or morons that's what it was not saying southern people are dumb i'm quoting a movie because we are southern people by by unfortunate by association yeah uh, i mean i'm in the south as much as it is uh don't don't tell people no. you're from the south if you're in florida it's not how it works yeah and so we, and, um you know again we i feel like there is a lived experience that we are like kind of a like a couple degrees away from here. Oh yeah, like I we like I grew up specifically in a time of like economic growth. So like I grew up poor up until a certain point. Like we weren't like dirt poor. Like we weren't like sleeping in closets and shit. But like I've lived in hotels for a year. So like I get it. Yeah, like, I, I understand parts of this struggle. And this kind of thing is sort of more of like what my mom and her family side would have yeah. kind of been kind of like been living in. And so I think this and I think there is a very there's this kind of weird like this movie is 
so like in a way realistic but also caricaturing in its own yeah. way that it makes this weird surrealistic reality that feels like this is kind of that feels very real but it you feels, never stop it, but you never stop like trying yeah. to spot the scene and it, it definitely feels close enough like which is kind of eerie at some points so um so the the three guys they break out of the chain gang um with ulysses uh, everett mcgill guaranteeing them that he robbed an armored truck and hid it on his family farm they're gonna seek the treasure um I won't spoil the end of the movie for you, but they, the guy, the, uh, the, what is Tracius, the, uh, the blind railroad guy, the seer, like he tells you exactly what's going to happen in the beginning of the movie. And until you see it, it does not make sense, but it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. And to really, again, this is the kind of movie where to go explain every scene as it happens yeah, would do the not, movie a disservice absolutely there's no way for us to box this movie in a way that we can explain it to you you enjoy it and then enjoy the movie like just go watch the movie it's you know, absolutely it's, worth watching you know and i feel like this is sort of like written in the the grapes of wrath kind of a little bit a, a kind of like idea you have this you have the threat of the you have people talking about the dust bowl a little bit you have I, this very poor South that is kind of contrasted by a few much wealthier people that kind of all like that kind of run things around. You have a huge emphasis on religion. Well, I mean, like because Christian faith is so, especially evangelical Christian, yeah, faith is so it's, baked into the culture. Yeah, the Bible Belt exists per reason, and this is Mississippi. This is God's country. Yeah. So, and again, to, uh, to walk through all this would be kind of a disservice to the movie. And to explain a lot of the individual scenes would just be a little, a little much. So, we might get into some of the, our favorite moments as we go. But the main, um, I think the main thing to take away is it's almost entirely a comedy with enough kind of a, with enough kind of a root in reality where you can see a lot of points where they're kind of making fun of the south oeuvre yeah like there's kind of like the gravity of the south is definitely being sort of poked at um and not in a malicious way i think by any stretch of the imagination like most of i actually i actually don't think the movie is as biting as i want it to be yeah no like it, it it's pretty softballish as if you're going into it thinking it's going to be some takedown of southern culture and pride and heritage saddles it's not yeah it's not even close but it, it also doesn't really set out to do that either like it's mostly a storytelling parallel um it, it has a hero's journey or the idiot's hero's journey as we have uh, called it um the ed ed and eddie hero's <laughs> journey as we will now refer to it <laughs> Um, and it, it's the way the movie is structured is important. Like the soundtrack, the music is very, very important. Yeah, the, to the, movie. the aesthetic of the movie, no matter what else I say is both very important and extremely interesting for the sake of the film. And I know interesting is an awful word, but let's, let's break this down. So we have <laughs> wonderful cinematography where the movie bookends on uh, black and white on the opening into color shot. and then closing into black and white. Yeah. yeah. It's and and then they have this, 
this weird color grading. Well, this I I think it's more of a washed tone. That's what it, it feels like a bleach wash almost. Where you and you everybody <clears throat> in the movie kind of looks washed out close to sepia tone yeah except for the land around them where yeah. you see lots of overemphasized bright autumn colors yeah and objects tend to show up like at the gas stations you see the red pumps very vividly like clothing has a little bit more color than the people do uh like the dapper dan cans are very very red mm -hmm. um but they do a very good job of not only color control in the movie but it's interesting. It's 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 beautiful in some points. Like there are some shots of southern just landscape. Like there there are fields. There are there are a couple of like in the wood shots that are just gorgeous. Anytime they're near a body of water is usually very impressive. Like both the sirens and the baptism scene. Mm -hmm. um, it's and it has like a lot of these scenes are almost silent like without there there's usually an accompanying track in a lot of these like moving scenes um which is very interesting because like very rarely in the movie it does it go without sound um and i think uh, reading the production important apparently the, the production notes apparently music was like by the way we are writing this to a soundtrack because like we want it to evoke certain things in people so it is like delta blues based it is old ye old like early american gospel it is bluegrass it early is folk. folk yeah it is the the burgeoning of what you would eventually become pre-country i had kind of a moment like at the beginning of bioshock infinite where you you can kind of hear the you can kind of hear the music in the background as uh it comes into the first shot of all these yeah. dudes working on a on a chain on a chain gang and it's it's a good way to start the movie. You have a lot of great um, cuts as you see the three of them escape. Yeah. Um, and music plays a very heavy role in this movie. It is It is one of the undertone storylines in the movie, specifically, both with the character and with the characters. <laughs> the overall. Soggy Bottom the Boys. The Soggy Bottom Boys. <laughs> um, and you keep seeing... That man in there pays you to sing in his can. <laughs> <laughs> There, there are so many, like, cute moments in this movie that have a lot more weight than you realize when you're first watching it. Like, digesting it is different. And watching it a second time definitely, like, kind of brings it back into focus. Um, it's just, it's a fun movie. It's very well shot. The sound, like, even if you're not a fan of, like, early Americanas, like, music styles and stuff like that, you're going to find something in the movie that you really, really like. Like, there are about two dozen songs, either in yeah, snippet they keep or... keep finding ways to fit music in somehow. Yeah, know? either somebody in the background is singing, or somebody they'll is on, on the radio. radio or yeah, they'll, they, be at, they, they'll be at a place where there's a public performance. Yeah, like, they always find a way to, like, insert music into the movie. I and would almost say... Some of it almost feels like it is a musical, like you are watching. It's pretty close. Especially, like, some of the scenes towards the end of the movie. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. They, uh, they do have a couple... And that's, that's... Yeah. And that's kind of the thing is... So... We're not going to spoiler tag this video, but we'll, we'll get into some of our favorite moments towards the end. Yeah. And um, I was going to say, um, is there anything you want to talk about before we get to uh, criticisms or other, like, points of... Uh, 
so contention. I like I like the points of contrast in the movie. You have some like not necessarily dark tones, but definitely not cheery tones that are usually followed up with something that's almost cotton candy sweet. Like they definitely know how to sort of balance the movie where you're not really stuck on a down or an up moment for too long without being able to experience the other thing. I feel like though, I don't particularly feel like the downbeat moments are even particularly downbeat because the whole movie is so weird. Yeah, well, not only weird, like... there it's written in a particular way where like dark moments are dark for a moment and then something weird happens and sort of takes you out of it that. It totally deflates it. <clears throat> yeah, which is you know, good. Well you, well, you know how <clears throat> Fargo gets pretty dark. Yeah, and... Fargo is a Fargo and Lebowski are significantly darker movies than this. Like this is a this is a pop bubblegum pop movie compared to the two of them. Yeah. But and maybe that's kind of what I was When have you ever what other movie have you seen the KKK with a dance number? So that was actually something that I was thinking about. <laughs> like pretty hardcore is I was like I was like is this okay? <laughs> Well, they Because they're in the movie for... It's like a five to ten minute scene. And the heroes save uh, a black character from getting killed by them. And I think that's a... It's, you know, it's mostly played for humor. And they have like... The <coughs> I don't know. They murder a man. They do murder a man. Being fair, he deserved it. Being fair, he deserved it. And it was one of the clan. And like... Yeah. There's, <laughs> so he definitely deserved and it. And they have this, this otherwise like... This guy who's running against uh, this... Okay. Menelaus, Papio Daniels. Yeah. Be so my favorite part about the entire KKK thing was the uh, the Reform Party guy is running on this platform where he is sweeping all of uh, this interest, the cronyism and corruption. Yeah. Uh, and his claim to fame is he is dragging a he's a friend of the little people, and he has a little person with him the entire time who has a broom. Yeah, who you, also sweeps. Yeah, there's this like deliberate kind of man. Weren't old time times fucked up? They were just racist back then. They were just racist. They, that's just how things yeah, were. That's just how things were. And like, <laughs> so you get to the KKK scene, and he takes his hood off and he puts his glasses on and goes, "Are those boys colored?" And then the little person pops up and takes his hood off, and I was like, "Are you for real right now?" I was like, "They let the little dude into the KKK." I was like, white supremacy is a thing, I guess. And not, not only that, yeah, the Cyclops like, was in there. Yeah, yeah, I was like, like, well, he's only got one eye. Apparently they let in anybody. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> if I've learned anything, what was the what was the Simpsons version of the Illuminati that was vaguely KKK? The Stonecutters? The Stonecutters. Uh, they just let anybody in. But like, that's so, it's so weird to me because they're just in the movie. Well, so here's the thing. And like, at the beginning of that scene, you have like... A really macabre song about like sort of the approach of death and how people want to like and i think a lot of the the spoken word songs are very uh, they're described as appalachian um which makes sense appalachian it's appalachian otherwise they will hurt you all right like don't go to the mountains and call it appalachia all right they'll track me down yeah (laughs) remember that providence joke earlier they know banjos. Oh, no. <laughs> so, um, it, it's sort of old church mountain music. So there there are dirges and really dark songs that are bookended on these just 
fucking bizarre <laughs> So, like, the idea that they go into this um, very beautiful but definitely very dark song about, like, the encroachment of death and how people wish for it not to happen. And then a little person shows up in the KKK and there's no way you can take the last 45 seconds seriously. Well, it's like... There's so many immediate so, turns. I just don't know how to feel about that scene in general watching it. It's like when you... Because... It's sort of like the movie, once they just kind of happen, they just kind of glaze over at. And the well, movie it's is, more of a it's more not, of a function of moving the story than focusing is, on it as a well. And this is the thing where the <clears> movie <throat> sort of has the satire there of, oh yes, our choice between two politicians is a literal racist KKK member and a good old boy Southern plantation owner looking type who clearly doesn't give a shit about anybody yeah. anyway. Who is. <clears throat> This is your choice of uh, politicians here in the South. And I'm like, you know, I wish this movie was trying a little harder to really indict this kind of attitude. Or at least this kind of, like... Yeah. Because, again, that KKK scene is played for laughs after a point. It's played for tribalism. And like, they have, like, especially if you watch the way it's doing it, it, it's supposed to represent, and this is the, the Odyssey part, it's supposed to represent the descent into Hades and the, the escape with knowledge, which is Tommy. <laughs> I guess. Well, yeah, they, they wouldn't be the Soggy Bottom Boys. Yeah, I know, them. you can't be the Soggy Bottom Boys without Tommy. So they, and the entire scene is really interesting because they have this almost pre-religious kind of chant and marching to it. And I, I don't know, um, I'll go ahead and wow you with this, I don't know enough about the KKK's history to think <laughs> that they danced in step. I, I'm willing to bet not, but I'm well, also willing like, to be proven wrong. It's like, I, I just feel like there's something very disingenuous about the movie that is kind of is kind of taking the piss out of this like romanticized idea of uh post-civil war south into like pre-world war ii era but it i mean jim the, crow was the in the 60s so well that's uh, i mean it kept going but the thing is is that it doesn't really comment very much that it isn't really like like tommy for example is not really much of it doesn't really have much to do other than to be the guy to play the guitar well, I mean, they set that up very early. Yeah. And it, he is more of, of, he is playing a character of an actual real person, too. Mm -hmm. It's just, um, it's just something I was, it's something I was a little off-put about. There are some pieces of the movie that are just kind of Southern mythology in themselves, yeah. which I think work in the movie, but only if, like, your criticism specifically, I feel like, does the movie set out to accomplish these things? No. And I don't think it was really ever in the cards. Could they have? Sure, absolutely. But it's just not... I think it's more a disappointment than a... Than like a real... Do you Sorry. see those eyes? Sorry, guys, the cat's going crazy. <laughs> Look at those eyes! <laughs> she hungers! Did she get the ball under the couch? Oh, I don't know, but she's... Alright, that's wild. Um, <laughs> and and I, I agree to a point. I don't think... I don't think it's the movie for it. 
So whereas Blazing Saddles was very biting in its racial takedowns of like pre uh, pre nineteen hundreds or early nineteen hundreds West. Um, of, of both racism and cultural exception and things like that. I have to stop this cat in a second, people. The cat, the camp town ladies. So I, I also would want to point out that Mel Brooks specifically set out to do that. Where I think the Coen brothers were more using the South as a parallel to the Odyssey in a twenty mile radius. Well. And again, we keep going back to like the Odyssey references, which are very abundant. But it's there are points if, that if, aren't Odyssey adjacent. There, yeah. there are significant amounts. Like some scenes are split, some scenes are combined, where you're like, okay, I get what this is trying to do, and then some scenes are kind of their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of that, and it is sort of jarring. I think the takeaway because like it opens with a quote from the Odyssey, and you go, all right, let's see what's going here. Well, and it's more like, I just want to know what the end is, other than they just, other, like, because it doesn't, it feels like an aesthetic choice that doesn't really have any meaning to the satire. I mean, I think it it does and it doesn't. I think that the the main criticism is I was going to make one is it just doesn't have the teeth. It doesn't have as much teeth as I want it to. Yeah, and that and, it, and that's not necessarily a fault of the movie. I would also that is say a fault of expectations. My, my other criticism is that the film does not really function great as a narrative. No, like I said, it's closer it's really, to like it's really more about watching an, the characters hang out and yeah. get into situations than necessarily. Like it, it's closer to an anthology than a movie. Like like I said earlier, like these characters are just sort of existing in this series of wacky and wild events so it, it's kind of like a mini series almost instead of a movie which well, honestly well, if it, they were going to remake this into like a nine hour long mini series i'd watch the fuck out of it well and like clooney's character is the only one who really has any kind of arc whereas the other nah. two are just kind of like delmar has his arc really early on because he sticks to what he says like so they get baptized in the early and he goes, it's on the straight and narrow for me, boys. <laughs> and then they're like, they're, he's like, the preacher said, my sins are washed away. And they're like, okay, well, what about like this? And he goes, or what he goes, he's like, even that bank I knocked over, or the Piggly Wiggly I knocked <laughs> over, that's what it was. That Piggly Wiggly I knocked over. And he goes, you said you didn't do that. He goes, well, I was lying. <laughs> and he said that was forgiven too, which is also a really hilarious, like religious loophole. Like, oh, hey, if a preacher dunks you in water and says you're absolved, I don't give a shit what you did. And I'm like, I don't, if you cannot tell, I am not anti-religious. I am just anti-nonsensical. <laughs> and that feels like a very galactic loophole that bothers me. <laughs> like, by the way, I knocked over a Piggly Wiggly, but the preacher dunked me, so we're square. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And I, I, but he, but you're not square with the with the Mississippi law. No, no. What did he say? He said the <laughs> the state of Mississippi tends to be a little more hard nosed. Yeah, like I like that bit. And there's like George Clooney I'm is always, at I'm his always, finest. I'm always, I'm always down to dunk on to dunk on religious institutions. Yeah, but... and, and George Clooney is absolutely at his finest in this movie. He has some of the best weird fucking lines there's a lot of there's so many great lines in yeah. this movie i will say it was especially because a lot of them are good even just totally out of context yeah. partially because of the delivery and the way 
Sometimes the they just the way they like sometimes repeat themselves. Yeah, they're, they're like, go uh, go forever. Go forever. <laughs> but well, it was funny because like he keeps offering in the midst of conversation and then unto the congregation, and it's just this weird like everything slows. What are you doing, guy? Yeah, and then like we're gonna R U N N O F T. No, what is it? What is it? John's good. It's like. It's like, what are you doing, Big uh, Big Teague or whatever, Big Dan? What are you doing, Big Dan? It just <laughs> drills him. <laughs> he just fucking knocks him over with a branch. And yeah, he goes, I don't understand, Big Dan. It's like... <laughs> just drills him. That might be my favorite moment in the it's movie. It's such a bizarre... Like, it's out of place for most of the movie up to that point, other than the fact that you know it's a, a polythemus parallel like that is a strict thing out of the odyssey the cyclops beats the shit out of them <laughs> but there's and again it's like i did i did like the movie overall i do oh yeah do like it i do recommend it um the soundtrack's really good soundtrack's too. good soundtrack's very evocative and very it's very aesthetically not coherent but it works with the movie to set this kind of to make this kind of reality. It's the same thing with the cinematography, which I really feel like is sort of. So apparently, I was just reading it was digital sepia toned. So like uh, apparently, while they were filming, it was just emerald green as far as you could see, and that's not necessarily the tone they were going for. Which, having seen the movie, it makes sense. Yeah, it it feels like a lot of the shots if you take them out of context, would look like old-timey photographs you have lying Yeah, it, which is really weird. <laughs> <coughs> I'm dying. Yeah, he's, he's, he'll be fine. The cat has disappeared. Yeah. So, um, you're going to find something about the movie you like. I think that it covers just enough bases with both a certain amount of sharp criticism, at least in a witty retort it's, kind it's of witty. way. I feel like, I feel like if you already like the Cohen Brothers movie. Oh yeah, this is I a shoe in for Cohen. But I, I think this is also probably the easiest to approach Cohen movie if you're not really into the Lebowski. You don't like uh, you don't like Raising Arizona. I I definitely would never recommend <laughs> that as the first Cohen Brothers movie people watch, and I definitely don't recommend it as a Nicolas Cage movie. That was my first. Was it Cohen Brothers movie? Holy shit! Raising Arizona is wild. It's a great movie, but it is wild. That scene, I, him sitting on the road in his underwear in the in the lawn chair, kills me every time. Uh, that movie's. I'm always gonna like the Big Lebowski more, I think, than this one. Um, oh yeah, it's. I mean, Lebowski's it's a better put together favorite. movie. But I think <clears throat> this is a lighter paced movie specifically. Like, don't you're not coming. In, don't expect to get into like these big life-changing thought-provoking moments because it doesn't have it. it this is the bare definition of this movie was written to entertain wow. and it sounds good and it looks good and the cast is on fire the yeah. whole the, time the movie is very on point it just it it never quite it go it's like a perfect four-star movie that yeah. never quite at least to me reaches five stars i think yeah. if you like you know, if you like comedy movies, like you seek them out, like or the, even like, if you just like, movies, or if then, you yeah. just even like well-written comedic narratives. Yeah, like they have a lot of really good scenes in this movie that stick with you well past the viewing, and there's a grab bag of lines. Mm -hmm. Like you can 
pick almost, you can random stop at any point in the movie and probably find something that you go, all right, that was really good. <laughs> the movie is chock full of crazy good dialogue. It's like watching the Muppet movie. Yeah, it really is. Like it's, it's surreal how well put together the dialogue is in absence of the rest of the movie. Because, like, they almost don't even really compliment each other. Like, I could almost just listen to somebody just read... I could almost just listen to the the movie without watching it. And yeah. And probably almost get the same amount of satisfaction. Although watching it is definitely cool, because it's such a beautiful it set. Is, it is a good... It, it is a really nicely shot movie. And the use of coloring is just fantastic. Like, it really... It, it's really good. So, uh, end result watch it you'll probably like it if you're not a cohen fan i would definitely say give this one a shot because it is while you have the witty writing of the cohen's it's not as randomly dark bizarre not or sardonic i guess yeah. as some of the other movies because like it's nowhere near as weird as raising arizona fargo or lebowski like period i think it is maybe i think it it gets as weird in some that's like literally Maybe for a moment of, like pulling what was it uh you're it's like leaving town on the rail you came in on or whatever yeah like yeah there there are a couple of moments that are there are a couple of visual tongue-in-cheek visual couple, jokes that are very interesting that are very airplane like <laughs> yeah <laughs> they rode the man out on a rail literally yeah um so what do you tell me tell me your secrets cat oh she's tuckered yeah she's tired she's now. tuckered out what did you think of the movie, Kitten? You slept through it. <laughs> it's true. I guess I'll settle for Derek. Derek, what did you think of the movie? Like I said, like a four out of five movie. I liked it a lot. It is one that I think that I will someday come back to and maybe even appreciate more the second time around. I will say having seen it probably about a dozen times, like the second and third playthroughs are probably the best ones because like you're more cognizant of kind of what's going on. But you've kind of forgotten yeah. some of the jokes. You're yeah, still yeah. Laughing. So, like, give it give it a couple of months before you go for the second one. But the second, like, that, like I was I was just stopping him because he was like, I, I was, he was wanting to say something. I'm like, shh, no, you got to listen to this. And, like, even the worst jokes in the movie are still pretty good, which is not common in a strict yeah, there's, comedy There's honestly movie. really none that don't land. Yeah. So, like, between the delivery, the writing, and the actual actors performing, because, like, I can't think of another movie Clooney has ever been in where Clooney played this kind of character. And I would have He's to He's basically, to me, kind of playing the same character that he is in Ocean's Eleven, albeit in Ocean's Eleven, he's a lot more successful at what he does. Yeah, this one's <laughs> part of... This one is closer to, like, the unsuccessful Southern version of <laughs> Mr. Ocean. Um, so yeah, give it a go. You'll probably like it. Um, I don't, I, I can't, like, I don't have any serious takedowns from the movie other than, like, there are a couple of scenes that maybe drag a little. Um, some of the, some, some of the traveling shots probably could have been adjusted, but I think with the musical accompaniment, accompaniment, accoutrement, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, I think the actual, like, there's kind of two climaxes to the movie. There's yeah. the one with the Soggy Bottom Boys, and then there's the later second climax where, uh, th where uh, the I was gonna say the Tennessee Valley Authority Act comes into play. Yeah, um, it's basically it. Yeah, 
And uh, I like how and that the, you get the through the first one, climax. The first one is so I think kind of deflating because it yeah. feels like you know the music's good, but it's, it's just kind of a tired. It's to me, it's kind of a tired storyline. At that got, point in yeah. the movie, yeah, I think it's a little worn. And the funny part is, like, by the time you get to the second climax, you look at the first climax, and you're like, denouement! Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea! I would see you again! Well, you know, it's like, Odysseus finally gets home, but he's not done yet. Yeah. <laughs> he ain't done yet. Oh, man. Agamemnon's gonna have a real bad time when he finally <laughs> figures it out. <laughs> Agamemnon's gonna have a real, real bad time. So, that's it from O Brother, Where Art Thou? Um... I think coming I up... I think he'll be on top again. I think he'll, I think he'll be on top again. Uh, just as a... Uh, nobody calls me baby nobody face. Nobody calls me Nelson. baby face. It's George Nelson. George. I'm a live wire. <laughs> Electricity is going to chase a rabbit through me. Man, that was such a weird series of lines. Because he also died in a shootout, not in the electric chair. So that was... that. There is a point of historical inaccuracy that is very bizarre. But that was such a weird thing to come to at the almost end of the movie. You're like, ooh, this is weird. <laughs> so um, uh, a bit of uh, table keeping. Uh, we are probably going to move to bi-monthly for the time being. Derek is going to work pretty significantly um, again. Uh, and my hours at work are actually picking up. So uh, instead of weekly, we're probably going to move to twice a month, at least for the time being. To all of the nine of you listening, I know this is going to be a terrible, horrible thing, but we still love we, you. We appreciate all nine we of do. you. We do. Or the four of you that play these things multiple times, which I also appreciate. I, I would really, if it was really just one guy who listened, who like... I listened to everything 20 times. Yeah, that's guy. that's my hero. <laughs> I love, that, I love guy. that guy. That's the dude right there. That's the guy we want to be. So uh, that's just sort of a, a going forward. Um, things will either get better by the Christmas or we will have things to figure will, out a different schedule. Things will pick schedule. up by Halloween. Yeah, I imagine we will start getting things back in order. But at least for the foreseeable future, we're going to be moving to bi-monthly. So uh, I'm sure, like I said, the nine of you are devastated. I'm I'm not sorry. I'm kind of. I'm a little sorry. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I'm a little sorry. But uh, that's it. Time to go home to the Lord, Derek. Ha, ha, ha.